Hello, and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. And I'm Stephanie Odd, the reference and local history librarian. And we are two of the three Stephanies. Maybe we'll do a three Stephanie episode sometime. That would be a lot. That would be a lot. But in the meantime, in this episode, we're going to be talking about some of Stephanie's genealogy work involving urban renewal and uh, I guess tracking down people who have been displaced by redevelopment efforts. Yeah. So where would it, or I guess, I don't know, do you want to begin with maybe a brief overview of why genealogy and libraries together? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the urban renewal thing is just a topic that we've addressed recently, and I'm really interested in it, but it's such an enormous topic that I think we could probably only just touch on it for a moment. But um, genealogy and libraries have an old, old history um, because, uh, you know, we have databases now, we have Ancestry.com, we have FamilySearch, a lot of these popular databases, but before all of that, we had pedigrees, Um, family trees, and many of those things were archived in places where people could reference them. So we know even as far back as like ancient Rome that people would keep um, documents, lineages in libraries. Huh. Yeah. I know. I don't know it went all the way back to ancient Rome. Well, I only, I only know that because I watched this um, documentary with the historian Mary Beard, mm. and she was touring some um, ancient Roman sites, and one of the things they did that I find fascinating is that, you know, they didn't have a library catalog. They didn't even have a card catalog, so they would um, inscribe or paint or, like, chisel into the walls the holdings of this library. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, very Flintstones. Um, and some of those things would be um, scrolls or, you know, documents. I don't know what sort of paper technology they would have had at that time, but um, of family histories, important family histories. And then fast forward way, you know, there's also royal lineages, which, you know, in the Western world, very important, not just the Western world, but like fast forward to the late uh, 19th, early 20th century, we have an organization here in Boston called the New England Historic Genealogical Society, and NEHGS, and NEHGS is a membership, still to this day, a membership library to do family history research. And they put out a quarterly magazine? Yeah, for so a, you could buy it if you weren't yeah. a member, but it is the membership magazine, a scholarly uh, journal. They also have a well, they have a monthly magazine and a quarterly journal, which okay. is more, um, you know, fully cited, in depth looks at things like early Vermont settlers or um, early American um, uh, school teachers, and it would be sort of more of a scholarly approach in their quarterly journal. But yeah, libraries and genealogy have a long history um, because um, you may want to go to a centralized site and look up where you are on a lineage, are you on the lineage, to sort of figure it out. So people have been fascinated with their own family history for hundreds and hundreds, of yeah. thousands of years. Probably as long as there's been family. Yes, yes. People want to know about their ancestors. But the you know modern version of genealogy and public public libraries, right. because we are a public library, are um, that we have institutional access to resources like Ancestry.com. We are an affiliate family search library, and I could tell about that. That's a whole other thing. And we have um, large print and electronic reference materials that people generally don't have on their own, or if they're just getting started in genealogy, they haven't managed to acquire on their own. So sometimes we are like the launch place for someone's genealogical obsession, and other times we're the place. Right. 
Right, or if you need something on a newspaper that's, you know, on microfilm. Right, and historical newspapers are a whole other thing. Right, right. that's a, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot to have you back for historic newspapers. Yeah, oh, that's actually my, uh, that is, <laughs> Urban Renewal is my new interest, is yeah. my new kind of, like, thing, but um, historical newspapers yeah. is kind of my obsession. Yeah, okay, well, well let's do that again, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, let's do um, that. But, so what brought you onto the topic of urban renewal and genealogy? And I guess we should mention that you run the genealogy club here, and then right. interested listeners can find out more about that by lots, emailing, calling, getting in touch with the library. Lots of public libraries have a genealogy club or a genealogy community. Right. If they don't have a formal club, they may have groups that meet in the library to talk about genealogy. Um, and we also have a genealogy club that's been meeting for more than 10 years called the Discover Your Past Genealogy Club. We meet on the second Thursday of every month. We usually have, um, in non-COVID times, you know, up to 30 people a month, about 30. Yeah. During COVID, I've been amazed that we've managed to be between 18 and 22 people meeting on Zoom monthly. That's a great Zoom turnout. Yeah, genealogy is kind of, um, a, it's a puzzle. Yeah. And it's something where people persist in seeking answers and love to collaborate and brainstorm. And so that's what this club is. Some people in our club have um, uh, not professional certification, but a, um, an, a certificate in genealogy. And some people in the club are just starting out. And some people are longtime hobbyists and just like to hear about, they get ideas from how other people have had right. success or failures. Right. Sometimes if you hear how somebody is failing mm. to find, document their ancestry, it gives you an idea of where to look. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's a club. It's a lovely group of people who love to brainstorm and help each other. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, oh, so we have covered all kinds of things yeah. in our club. Like sometimes we have a big topic like Italian genealogy, and that's fun, Irish genealogy. Um, for a while there, we had a lot of complaints that the Irish were getting a lot of like, um, you know, broad, like, like traffic. Right. Like we were talking about the Irish too much. Yeah. And this is Boston. But we've done Irish, we've done Jewish genealogy, yeah. and you know, just like Urban Real, these are huge topics. Right. You can't have a one hour meeting and say, there, we've covered Jewish genealogy. Right. Not <laughs> even. Yeah. Right. So really, you know, when we, when we have a podcast or right. write an article or have a meeting, it has to be, here is how I've approached right. family history through the lens of Irish genealogy right. is a better way. But, but usually the meeting is called Irish Genealogy Day. But what it means right. is, here's how I found my Irish ancestors right. using Irish genealogical resources. Right. But it can never really be right. a comprehensive thing. Right. Not right. at it's all. Yeah. And then people can kind of go and explore further on their own. And that is really kind of, that always um, produces some anxiety in me because I feel that I, if it's something called Irish genealogy, I feel that it should cover everything yeah. from yeah. cemeteries to birth certificates, right. but you just can't. Yeah. No, and, right. I mean, like you say, it's a huge topic. And I mean, there's a reason that genealogy is, is a hobby. It's because it's something that you can really go deep into. And there's a lot of different, you know, layers and levels. And, I mean, you're never going to find out your whole genealogy. So there's always more to do. There is a woman in our club who could trace her lineage back to um, King David. Wow. So, wow. You, I don't know if that counts as her whole back? genealogy. Did you go back further? I, that's, that's the challence. I mean. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, I have my genealogy yeah. actually largely thanks to my sister. Yeah. So I feel a little bit of like a, a poser here because my sister has done a lot of the work, you know, to the like 16th century. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, depending on where you're from, what archives were you know consumed by fire, <laughs> like flood, you know, you, you can have success or not. Right. There are so many ways your documents to go missing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess that kind of brings us back to urban renewal. Because oh, like, yeah. how do you how do you find someone whose home and maybe even address like no longer exists, right? Because if yeah. the areas have been redeveloped, street names might have changed, streets may have, you know, been I'm guessing like demolished and reconfigured or replaced with things that were not residential areas. Oh, there's so many <laughs> things. Like this is what's stru stressful to me about these topics is like this is right. like three doctoral dissertations. Yeah. And I am trying to say, here's a meeting, stop yeah. in and learn about this. Right. Um, but this actually start my my interest in this started when I was in college. Yeah. I took a senior elective um, about Boston history. And it was a Tuesday, Thursday evening class. And it was lovely because Tuesdays we had lecture. Thursdays we got on a big yellow school bus. And we either went to the West End, we went to uh, Mattapan, we went to East Boston, and we learned most, you know, about early American times through busing and all kinds of things. And urban renewal was a big topic. And that was really the first time I heard of it. But recently I had a patron in the library, and I can say this, you know, that she had um, ancestors who lived on Chambers Street in what is um, now, you know, really just downtown Boston, kind of Beacon Hill area near Mass General Hospital. Chambers Street doesn't exist anymore. Chambers Street was raised in the process of urban renewal. So she wanted to know more about the neighborhood that used to be. Right. Well, how do you, how do you go about finding information on something, you know, like that where, it's not like you can go and visit and see. That's right. So, I mean, yes, you know, historical documents, right. maps. Um, and, and just like, you know, the genealogical topics, every urban renewal project was different. Right. But I'll just say that in 1949, um, President Truman signed a major federal housing law. Yeah. And that law gave a lot of federal money. Um, the, the country was faced with a huge housing shortage. Soldiers were back from the war. And um, also, a lot of urban areas had overcrowded um, areas. And so he signed this big housing legislation. And it basically is what became sort of the um, mothership of urban renewal. And so in the early 50s, um, city planners were starting to, um, mostly in New York and Boston, really the first big projects were in New York and Boston, look at, at how to remove what was now deemed um, blight slums. And so these were um, largely um, crowded immigrant, older neighborhoods, um, three, four, five, six family houses. Um, you know, there was a housing shortage and people were like living in cramped quarters. And the West End in Boston is, is one of those streets. So the West End is, is really just about 23 acres. And, um, one interesting thing I found out after our genealogy meeting is that the Boston Herald bought a four-acre parcel of those 23 acres for their distribution for the for their whole corporate offices. And the Boston Herald, whose whose papers I haven't even looked at yet, yeah. were all gung ho on get this blight and slum cleared up. So Boston City Development, there, there was an organization that was starting up around that time. It's very famous, called the Boston Redevelopment Authority. Yeah the BRA and they, those city planners were looking at what they could do to make, to, to, to help Boston as a city stay 
economically competitive with Chicago and New York and whomever else, Atlanta, maybe that was longer time coming. But one of the things was to quote unquote clear the slums, put in some big shiny office towers. And Probably it, without a lot of thought to where those people would go, where the people living there would go. A hundred percent, yeah. So I, I mean, I can't tell all of the story, right. but the West End is such a classic story because in 1952, the BRA was starting the plans. In 1958, so let's just take Chambers Street, which right. is the street where the patron came to me. Yeah. Chambers Street residents, for instance, were given eviction notices. The BRA did have a relocation authority or, or department and they were to work with tenants in relocating them. And there are lots of reasons in, in all of these projects that we looked at why people you know, either did not want to go and some people were really taken out kicking and screaming or um, you know, were not being um, satisfactorily uh, compensated. We haven't even talked about eminent domain and the legal terms of land taking, but you know, going back to your question of how to trace all of this, there's, there's the question of what did the neighborhood look like? And you can find out a lot of that in archives and museums. And then there's the question of where did those people go right away? And because this was happening in 58, they were, the, the neighborhood was given notice. By, by 1961, the street was gone and new development was there. And, and actually the street doesn't exist anymore at all. There's no Chambers Street. So where did Chambers Street people go? So there are, like, I guess the person who came to me said she had a lot of information on what the neighborhood looked like. There's a wonderful West End Museum. Um, there's a lot of mapping, art, there's a lot of maps, historical maps, and libraries are good sources for those things. Yeah. But then they, she couldn't find these families for 10 more years until they were in a sense, like a federal, right. like a, so how, how did you find out where they went the next year? Like, like they were kicked out and then what happened? Right. So you had to fill in that gap. So that was kind of a fun thing. I had never thought about that yeah. before. And so did, were you able to find an answer? So we found a couple of answers for that patron. And yeah. one of the exciting things was, or, or actually sad and sort of, is that this household, it was a multi-generational household. It broke up. So that's sad, but then, okay, where did they all go? Um, one of the things we found where we could find out where people moved from, sort of like reverse tracking, is um, voting lists. Voting, so um, the Boston Elections Bureau, that's not the right name, but they basically um, put out a annual by precinct, um, by voting, by ward and precinct, street lists um, and registered party and it would say say it says like Jane Doe and then it says you know if she lives at 15 Joy Street in Beacon Hill which is where a lot of people from the West End went and then it would say there's a whole other column saying where they previously lived so this was enormously helpful because um, the Boston Public Library together with the um, Boston City Archives they have digitized about 100 years of Boston election voter registration lists. It's a great resource. It's a great resource, and I've never used it for genealogy. Yeah. And we were able to trace that this patron's particular family, about, not only did the household break yeah. up, 
but they bounced around for a few years. Yeah, which makes sense after a big disruption like that. Yeah. Um, can really give more of, more of an idea of the effects of this. Yeah. So, yeah, that's wild. So this household, as it was brought to me from the patron, right. was um, a, grand, a, a grandmother and a grandfather and, a, 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 you know, two parents yeah. and three children. Yeah. And the grandfather died shortly after the, um, the grandfather died shortly after, like in 1959. And so the, the grandmother, the grandmother did not move to Joy Street in Beacon Hill. So where, where did she die? Where, what happened yeah. to the grandmother? Where there's no sign that she, right. she didn't die, or we knew that she didn't die until much later. Right. We suspect that she moved to a nursing home in Brookline, mm -hmm. a Jewish nursing home. Yeah. And another really exciting resource was um, there's a newspaper called The Jewish Advocate. Um, so I should back up and say that the West End had Italian immigrants, Jewish immigrants, African Americans, um, just a very multicultural and multi-income yeah. community. It was right. a very diverse community. Yeah. But the Jewish community in the West End largely moved to Brookline, Mattapan, um, sort of that part of Boston, like, like, I don't know so much that the Jewish families moved to Jamaica Plain. There's the whole other issue of redlining. Right. So there's so many complicating things, but a lot of Jewish families moved to Mattapan and a lot of Jewish families moved to Brookline. And we were able to track all of that in um, the Jewish Advocate newspaper, which is available full text through the Boston Public Library. There was a nursing home built for seniors from the West End. Interesting, so specifically for West End kind of relocation. Well, or, I don't know. Or Actually, not I can't. That it was built for that, but that's where a lot of people yes. end up. So we think yeah. that's a lead. And that makes sense because, you know, if possible, you would want to remain with people that you already knew. And the grandmother died in Brookline. Yeah. So right. at some point, she wound up in Brookline. Right. The mother and the father and the three children who were originally on Chambers Street yeah. wound up on Joy Street, which yeah. is a Beacon Hill that's kind of a famous Beacon Hill Street. Um, but it wasn't such a, you know, millionaire's row like it is now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that must be another interesting aspect of genealogy. Kind of gives a window into how the neighborhood has changed over time. Oh, because, yeah. you know, I hear Beacon Hill, and I don't think, like, area in need of redevelopment. Um, right. You know, to me, Beacon Hill kind of suggests money. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, I wouldn't have thought that even, you know, 60, 70 years ago that that wouldn't have been the case. But Some of the pictures that I've seen of the yeah. West End, and I'm no expert. I, right. I, I, some of the pictures I've seen of the West End look like what you and I have been educated to see is, okay, that looks like a tenement. It's a wooden multifamily building with lots of people hanging out the windows and playing stickball in the street. Um, and it doesn't look like it's in great condition. But some of the buildings look like brick, you know, not maybe not brownstone, but brick yeah. buildings like you'd see in the North End right. that with the right kind of development probably would be like high-end yuppie housing. Right. So it's unclear yeah. to me what forces were at work to make the West End be raised. Right. And it really was raised. Right. I mean, the whole street is gone. Just like not that the houses are gone, but the actual street is gone. That suggests a very comprehensive level of uh, yeah reconstruction. Yeah. 
I know it's really fascinating. Yeah. And I actually really want to recreate that like class that I took and yeah. get on the LL school bus and relearn it. I don't know. But I mean, it really just started with helping this woman. Right. Yeah. When you, in the course of that, you found out, you know, resources that are going to be useful for future endeavors. I mean, I would think a lot of people who live on the North Shore have ancestors who came through Boston at some point. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, knowing about that, like, Boston voting list resource will probably be pretty helpful. Um, I don't think so. Oh, you know, the other thing, the other place that Jewish families yeah. went was Lynn. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of towns. These are the ones that I, I saw a lot of Jewish families um, relocating to Lynn, yeah. Brookline, and Mattapan. Yeah. But I'm sure there are many more communities. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not, you know, it's really interesting how... I don't know if you don't if you're not familiar with genealogy you maybe don't realize how many resources that just seem historical in nature can actually tie into it and how it can sort of you know genealogy can fill in some of the gaps that history you know that sort of capital H history doesn't get at. Yeah one of the one of the things that I always feel sort of a little bit of dis-ease about in genealogy yeah. club is that my passion for genealogy is about the story and the context right. I'm, like I said, my sister did a lot of my lineage documentation. And, you know, if I were a really diligent genealogist, and I have done some of this, I would go back and check all her sources. And, you know, yeah. my sister, be, you know, her, she may be wrong. Right. And that's what you should do, because there's a lot of published genealogies or family histories, and you shouldn't just accept it as fact. Right. But um, I'm kind of more into the context. Yeah. Like, oh, what happened to this neighborhood? What kind of clothes were, were these people wearing? Um, you know, did they have a car? Did they have a phone? Can we find that out? Right. I love that yeah. stuff. The richer stories. But I think, you know, tr the true discipline of genealogical work is the documenting. Right. So, your passion. Yeah. personally, yes. But I, you know, I work in a, you know, this, this club we have, they're all types in this club. They're sort of the, you know, contextual story lovers like me. Yeah, right. And then the people who really want to drill down into the documents and want yeah. to be able to construct the family trees. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think you've done with our, with a poster printer in the makerspace here, you've like helped people to print, like to print out physically large family trees, right? Am I remembering yes. that? Yeah. 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 So, you know, for people who are into that, we can do that too. Uh, but, right. 100%. Yeah. And I, I do like that. It's actually more of a discipline. Yeah, it's sort of like in college. It's it's getting it's it's sighting. Right. It's sighting. Yeah. So that the scholars that come behind you can follow right. your work with with um, reliability and validity. That's right. what scholarship is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like. Yeah. That's hard work. <laughs> I'm 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 more interested in the stories. I know with you know with a lot of the local history work that we've done together in terms of finding things that need to be cataloged for Andover history. A lot of which, again, I wouldn't think of as genealogical sources, but they obviously could be. We should have a local history. We should podcast. do a local history. Yes. <laughs> we'll add that. Yeah. We'll add that to our upcoming features. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Several years from now, once we've covered urban renewal so thoroughly, we can get on to local history. Yeah. But yeah, you know, doing, doing a lot of that, I wouldn't, you know, if I were doing, if I were from Andover and doing my genealogy, I wouldn't necessarily think to look at a school directory from the 50s. But, like, obviously, it's a directory. That means it's a list of names. Like, yeah. you know. Not only could you find out that your grandmother was a typist at the Sanborn right. School, you might also find that she lived on, you know, such and such road, Woodjoy right. Road, you know. Right. And then you can list the phone number. 
or her husband. Someone, right, exactly. <laughs> she may be listed under her husband's name, in fact. Right. So, it's, yeah. Uh, it's women always, have an especially funny sort of like, yeah. they carry almost like a weight with them through right. genealogical records because even the older voter lists, you know, around the time of the 19th Amendment, these Boston voter lists are hilarious because they say, um, women marked with a dagger. <laughs> so each woman, each voter woman's name was like marked with a dagger. Okay, oh, that's, that's telling us that they're new voters and maybe we're suspicious of them. I don't know why they have yeah. to mark women with a dagger. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than like women marked with like a cheery pink flower. But right. Maybe. It, but it, yeah. It is actually just a little typographic icon right. that was probably accessible to them at that time. Still I'm sure it's not meant as a sign of aggression. But yeah, why, why do we need to mark? Like today right. we would say, why, do, why does a voter registration list need right. to take gender? Well, right. actually, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Uh, Maybe they do. Maybe? I don't know. I don't really feel I need to be taken into account. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and again, that's the kind of context that you, you know, that you can get while doing this research. It's like, yeah. you know, oh, this is like, this was probably the first federal election that my ancestor voted in because she wasn't allowed to before this yes. like she wasn't legally able to yes. before this yes. you know or like you know yeah just that kind of it gives you a little feel for the time you know or like looking at some of I'm, I'm amazed when I've done when I've done the cataloging for so many of the like local women's organizations that even though it's a women's group you know created by and for women they're all listed in there as you know Right, you know, Mrs. Robert Johnson, and like, you know, Mrs. Her William Bell. Bell. Right, and you're like, but who is this? Like, who, right. you know, and and so sort of, you know, but in the one way, it's frustrating because you're maybe not finding all the information that you want, like her first name, but it does give you a feel for what life was like at that time. Yeah, I agree with um, you, and I feel like that women's tracing women has right. it may, it's harder, right, and because of yeah. Right, names change. You can't trace women voters in right. 1900 because there weren't, well, actually that's not true, that women were voting in municipal right. elections and right. maybe some state elections, but, but yeah, but I, my point is, like, yeah. Right, exactly, there are, there are different track track ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that could be a whole genealogy that topic. That could be a whole other topic, yeah. too. It is, it's just this, I mean, Like you were saying earlier, it really is sort of a the hydra the head with my yeah. monster <laughs> yeah yeah every path you get into there's it opens up more questions yeah um but i'll, I'll just tell you i don't yeah. i don't know how much time we have i want to just say that because we've probably been i'll just tell you that yeah. at this club meeting we talked about two other things yeah. two other big things and i won't go into them except to say um we talked there there's a um huge data set at the National Archives mm -hmm. on the 15,000 families that were displaced as part of the Tennessee Valley Authority yeah. project in the 1930s, in the Great Depression. And um, as you probably know, farmers in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, mm -hmm. South Carolina, and Mississippi were uh, told over a course of like three years that they were going to leave their land and that they would be compensated and that this area is gonna be flooded in the name of economic development. Right. The TVA files in the National Archives are also available in Ancestry.com, and they are so rich because they had interviews with people, and they said, you know, where are you going to go? And some of them are so heartbreaking because they say, I just don't know, and it's a week before they have to leave. Um, and some of them say, I'm going to my brothers, and some of them say, we, 
we're going to this mountaintop parcel of land that the TVA has given them. And so there is forwarding information in them. There's rich household information. Do they have a radio? Do they have any books? Can they read? Um, what what is in the in the interviewers? And you know, this was the Great Depression, so FDR was putting people to work. So these people were interviewing extensively. Right. They had the time. They had the time. They had the workers. They were yeah. interviewing them and profiling these families. And you know, what a um, you know, middle class, college educated, or maybe not. I don't know. But a profiler wrote up about your family in Alabama it may not really be accurate. But there's this record of saying like. This fam these family, this family has a bookshelf with about 20 books. They have a Bible. They, um, the children don't have shoes, or, or the mother has a has a, sto a coal stove, and so there are family profiles that are really rich. Yeah. So and is that available, like freely available online? It on is. The National Archives website. It is available yeah. to the National Archives. What happens is like things like the National Archives, the place uh, organizations they hold these documents and they digitize them with partners like Ancestry. Ancestry actually did the digitization for, for NARA. Mm -hmm. And they are, the files, the digital files and the, the record, the catalog records are in NARA or in the National Archives catalog. Yeah. But Ancestry has an easier searchable mm -hmm. interface, right. which isn't free, right. but it's available through the library. Right. <laughs> I highly recommend not searching it in the NARA catalog because it's, if you've ever searched the NARA catalog, it's a behemoth. It can be rough going. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about that. No yeah. one in our club has, or at least knows that they have um, Tennessee Valley Authority families. I'd love to find somebody who is using those for their family history right. research. And then I'll just quickly say the other thing we talked about was the Quabbin Reservoir Project in Massachusetts, also in the 30s. Yeah. Um, it, actually, I don't have the number in front of me, but it was about 1,500 households that were displaced. Yeah. Four towns. Right. That were right. towns that just don't exist anymore. They're ghost towns. Right. And that's a, yeah. by the way, that's a, that's a subject heading. Yeah. And it's, oh, wow. Go, ghost towns, extinct heading. towns. Yeah. Um, so we talked about, so there is a woman in our genealogy club whose ancestors are from Dana, Massachusetts, which yeah. no longer exists. And the Quabbin um, Reservoir Project, you may know, was a huge infrastructure project from the Massachusetts Water Resource Authority because Boston, booming Boston, needed water for urban renewal, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it's amazing how many communities draw from the Quabbin. I think it's not just Boston. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, but wait, how do you, you know, normally my first thought would be like, we'll contact the local historic society, but if the town doesn't exist anymore, you know, there is no Dana Mass Historical Society because there's no Dana Mass. Well, funny you should pick that one because there are four towns or and field one that does have one They somehow. have a little historical museum. Yeah. But the records are with the Massachusetts Water Resource right. Authority and the Department of um, Conservation and Recreation in Massachusetts. And they have been thoroughly digitized mm -hmm. and indexed. And they are viewable through a couple of different places, the State Archives and Digital Commonwealth. Yeah. You can see photos of homes, and many of those homes were actually physically moved. I'm oh, always amazed wow. by moving houses. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that a couple of times, but I agree. It seems like maybe more trouble. I, I guess it makes more sense to me for a historic home, but... Yeah, yeah. some of, some of the... Yeah. Um, I actually don't know how many, but some 
Quabbin Reservoir homes were moved. Yeah. But the other thing that was true, and this is, and I won't say anymore, but like the, both of the TVA and the Quabbin yeah. Reservoir Project is cemeteries. Mm -hmm. So in both of those projects, right. cemeteries had to be relocated. Right. And in order for that to even go down, that, you know, in both cases, people were very upset about losing their homes in the first place, but losing the burial grounds of their ancestors could possibly be even right. more traumatic. Right. I'm not sure. I yeah. can't, I can't really say, but the, ce <laughs> the cemeteries have been, there's a Quabbin Park Cemetery. And if you had an ancestor or family members buried in a cemetery in any of those four Quabbin towns, and there were, there were multiple cemeteries in each town, right. you could have a free reinterment and burial in the Quabbin Park Cemetery. Okay. If you wanted your ancestor buried somewhere else, it was on you. But there is extensive documentation. And that's another thing genealogists like. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, and the TVA also, as they should have, may have took extent. So there are databases just for tracking where those people were reinterred. TVA has more subsidiary cemeteries because it's a bigger area. But I, I, you know, that could be a whole meeting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just that. Right. It's like finding cemetery records from yeah. the relocated cemetery. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these are like topics that just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, mm, genealogy is just a piece of it, but it's an important piece right. of it. Right. Well, maybe not all of it here, but we can get you started. We can get you started. Yeah. You yeah. can get people started. I'd love for somebody with TVA history yeah. to come in here. I would love to see if you could. These these little profile packets are so yeah. rich and they're heartbreaking. I bet. Like I each mean, one is a novel. It's easy enough to be like, oh well, you know, they had to do it in the name of progress. Then you think about actually losing your own home because someone, you know, is coming in and being like, well, we're going to turn this in, like we're going to flood it out. And you're like, oh, okay. I, you know, no. When you think of it that way, you, it really is awful. I yeah. would not be so gung-ho about that either. Um, I think if you've lived there your whole life and you've never left that yeah, town, never been in the right. generations, it right. was your family's homestead. Right. Like, how do you, how do you know how, where to start over? You know, that and, would be, yeah. And, and I think, especially with farming, right. um, it's so important, you know, the value of, of the soil and the land right. It can't necessarily be easily reassigned. Right. Oh, just go farm over there. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe planned by people who didn't have a full grasp on the nature of farming. Yeah. Um, so that, that is, not, you yeah. know, the TBA is not right. urban renewal. The meeting we had on urban renewal yeah. kind of ventured into economic development. Right. And but I think it is possible to figure out where your ancestors went if they were forcibly removed yeah. from either a redevelopment authority right. or um, a government economic development project. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. I would, not, I would not have thought about with genealogy before, but it really is a great topic. It's very rich. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually pleased that you're Yeah. Well, unless there's anything else pressing that you want to tell our listeners, then I think we'll wrap it up there for today. But we'll definitely yeah. have to have you back for more genealogical topics. Okay. okay. Very good. 
All right. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. And uh, thank you to our listeners. If you want to hear more episodes, if you're new and want to catch up on our back catalog, you can find us uh, online at mhl.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, where you can subscribe, rate, review, all of the usual podcast things. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email rdesk at mhl.org. That's our, like, reference. And uh, you can reach us, you know, here at Memorial Hall Library. We'd be happy to hear comments. Thank you, and see you next time.